Hello and welcome to the Bite Size Gaming Podcast, the podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are John Christian, Troy Sandlin, and Catherine Linquist. Everyone say hi. Hello. Hello, everyone. So let's break down exactly how each one of these podcasts works. There will be four courses, the appetizer, the main course, the palate cleanser, and the dessert. Each course tackles a different angle on the world of RPGs, and we'll cover exactly what those angles are when we get to each segment. You guys ready? Yeah, Yeah, let's do this. All right. So our first segment is our appetizer course, or the community pulse. These are two to three new items from around the community, news articles, new Kickstarters, new projects, all sorts of things. Um, We've got three of them. We're ready to go today. And it looks like I've got a couple, and Troy, you got one. So I'll I'll kick us off with one, and then we'll switch over to Troy. Um, Sounds good. So the first one that I'm going to talk about is we got um, this week, so it'll be a couple weeks out by the time it gets uh, this episode airs, but we got a revised psionics um, on Arth Arcana on the, mm-hmm. from Wizards. <clears throat> um, basically, we got updates on the classes, um, the subclasses that they had designed. Um, they got rid of a lot of the spells that they had in playtest, and they kept a couple. Um, so I don't know that we necessarily need to have a whole long talk about psionics tonight. Um, that's probably like a full-on topic for a later day. Um, but I think that the typically when we see them do a revised and updated playtest for the same material, and they keep a lot of it, right it means that they're building towards something. This wasn't a lark. This wasn't a, oh, we have an idea. Let's see what happens. It's a serious endeavor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. my question for you guys with this news that we're getting, that we've got a revised psionics, what do you think this is building towards? Or do you have any hopes of what it's building towards? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm, I mean, the obvious is dark sun. Mm-hmm. It's it, mm-hmm. they they've they've dropped little hints here and there. They've made comments in other podcasts and interviews at uh, panels uh, at different conventions that you know. Well, for one, all all past settings that they still have the the rights to mm-hmm. will get some fifth edition love, and everybody keeps screaming for Dark Sun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My, I'm kind of in agreement with you to some extent. They did mention the Dark Sun setting a little bit more in this revised um, um, Unearth, Unearthed Arcana. Um, but having said that, I would have thought that they would have been gearing up up until recently. I would have thought that maybe we were going to get a Spelljammer book before we got a before we got a Dark Sun book. And we were going to have an adventure where we travel the planes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think psionics can play a heavy hand in that, especially if illithids play a heavy hand in Spelljammer, right? And, oh yeah, and they definitely you kind of did. You kind of did the wind up and the punch on that too with Morden Kane and Tome of Foes. There was a lot of Githyanki, uh, Githzerai, illithid. There's there was a lot that was in there to, to unpack, right? A lot of and then the at least the main baddie that we've seen in the cinematic for Baldur's Gate three is. An illithid being chased down, right? So, oh yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and an alloy, exactly. Which was like, was just old school nerd kibble. As soon as that, as soon as that thing came uh, jamming through the portal. <laughs> oh yeah, that was fantastic. Now, I don't know if if anybody else knows, but uh, Mr. Chris Perkins has been running or had ran a long like three-year-long uh, Spelljammer campaign of his own. So mm-hmm. oh, well, Spelljammer is very near and dear to him. So hopefully that will get some love eventually as well. Mm-hmm. Catherine, I know you, you're coming into this from 5th edition, so you've never seen, you've never played in a Dark Sun, you know, don't have a lot of experience with that or Spelljammer. But mm-hmm. what, so so I guess my, to, to, to bring, to toss the ball into your court, um, <laughs> What does psionics mean to you, or what would you like to see with these rules of basically an alternate spellcasting system to to oversimplify? Um. Well, 
there I played for a couple of months a few live sessions and uh, a couple months of discord play with someone who was trying out uh, some kind of psionic um, I think that it's very intriguing mm-hmm. I think that having the uh, the supernatural ability that isn't necessarily magic as the other classes would understand it is pretty cool but um, I guess like he could for example he could just pop into anybody's head at any time mm-hmm. like he didn't have a cap on it or a word cap or whatever that I knew of um, mm-hmm. I might be wrong but <laughs> um, but I guess things like that I think mostly I would be concerned that I would I would want to try to figure out a way for the rest of the players that were playing with a person who was a psionic to feel as important and different and cool. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's my main worry. That makes sense. Like, Like, yeah, because, because if, if you, and and that may be why they're going the subclass route, right? So that, Mm -hmm. uh, so that it's not one class that feels completely isolated from the rest of the classes. Um, Mm -hmm. And so when you have your psionic class and then, and then, that whoever plays that character feels completely different. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like, there's a lot of really cool tracks that you could follow as a DM uh, that wouldn't necessarily be opened up by other classes. So I guess it would just be, you know, super make sure that there's balance in place. So the rest of the players also feel like they're being involved just as much. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do feel like I do feel like one of these two settings is coming, or advent, mm-hmm. or, an, or a campaign that introduces one of those two settings is coming. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that we're getting player options to me implies a setting book or a right. Xanathar's Part Two or whatever, right? Like, right. if it's a campaign book, almost no campaign books have player options other than backgrounds. Um, so it'd be strange if they said. Here's Dark Sun campaign with six subclasses as part of it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, True. So if if we're seeing this, then that probably implies a a player resource or a campaign resource or a or a setting resource and not a campaign. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which I think a spelljammer campaign is what we all want. We we don't. I don't really care if we get a a setting for it so much as oh. much as I want to see. I want to see a world, uh, an adventure where we're hopping around on planes and riding yes. these ships and all that. Like that's what excites me more than them just saying the tools and go have fun. That's <clears> funny. <throat> I was thinking. I, I was thinking the opposite. Oh, okay. I was like, I hope it's a, I hope it's, and you know, not not adventure, but hmm. you know, either way, I'd still probably, I'd still pick it up so I could like pick bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I, I kind of yeah. feel like the Spelljammer would be, would be perfect as a hybrid where you'd have mm-hmm. half the book detailing, you know, the different races and, and the different kinds of strange classes and with Spelljammer uh, movement and combat and all that kind of stuff. And then the last half or the other half of the book is is the adventure part. Kind of like could, a wild mount sort of a mm-hmm. yeah, you together? Yeah, you could, you could detail all the all the you know how the planes work, how the crystal spheres work, and travel between them. All that good stuff, and then yeah, they'd have a have an adventure. That'd be cool on the on the backside. What if that's? I wonder what it would be like. Like, I wonder how likely it would be that maybe that's gonna that might be a new pattern, like a new standard format. Yeah, I mean, you like it or love it. As far as the wild mount setting or the critical role setting, the layout of that book was well received. I think mm-hmm. um, it's it's a perfect resource book if you like the Wild Mount setting. I don't think anybody has a, anybody that likes Wild Mount. I haven't seen anyone who complains about that book, right? Um, mm. So so mm. maybe they will learn from, see something in that 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 format and say, 
let's let's try a real book like this. Um, well, it's a similar format that a lot of the independent publishers are really enjoying. You know, if you look at, again, you go to back to Colville and you see what he did with Strongholds and Followers. There's a lot that's in there. You know, you were what you wanted, what you were hoping for out of the out of the material was. Uh, the rules on creating strongholds and attracting followers. But what he gave you was here are strongholds and followers and monsters. And here are, um, here's an adventure to go along with it. So that now, now you can learn how to couple all the new stuff that I've given you that you've given to the people and say, here's how you, how you introduce that into your campaign yourself. I think it's actually pretty smart. If they don't do it all in one book, at the very least, it would be nice for them to supplement either through DMs guild availability as an online uh, supplement that they can download or do something that they kind of simply uh, similar to what they did, or at least in parallel with uh, like what they did with Horde of the Dragon Queen and some of the earlier adventures where it's like, here's the book and here's this online material that will enhance the, uh, the experience. Yep. I agree. Um, um, and, and when you, you all this talk about books, uh, this is going to be a little teaser for next episode, but it got me thinking about, um, what the supplement that just came out both on D&D Beyond and the DMs Guild, it's been out for several weeks at this point, but um, the Mordenkainen's Fiend Folio, right? Mm, Vol- yeah. Vol- volume one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Mordenkainen <laughs> is on their minds right now. Right. So anyhow, just a, just a thought. Well, Mordenkainen's always been kind of busy. I mean, you know. Yeah, of he's, course. He's, of course. You know. <laughs> he's, he's a little on the prolific side, so, you know. Yeah. When he's not marooned in uh, Barovia. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, let me, let, me, uh, let me shift us over here to my second little thing, and this one's a real quick one. Um, but there is a new Kickstarter um, that I am really excited about for some reason, and I thought I'd shout yeah, it out. For some reason. Um, I do not know the best way to pronounce this, um, but it's called Broncolonia, um, and it is a spaghetti fantasy role-playing game, right? <laughs> and it's that it's that subheader that sold me. And looking at mm. it, it is an Italian campaign setting for 5th edition. Oh my goodness. So... Oh. It's the art is wonderful. It's very like Renaissance feel. Mm-hmm. Um, it fits really well with the with the setting proposition that they're doing. The book will be both in Italian and in English. You can get one. Uh, you can get either one. Um, and it's got a whole bunch of new playable races that are from Italian folklore. It's got the world is designed around like old school Italy. Uh, it's got 12 new subclasses, new backgrounds. Everything is designed to make you feel like you're playing in a fantasy version of Italy. I'm like, that sounds really fun. And um, it's, it's, it's like a, we're used to D&D being inundated with, um, with Western medieval uh, flavor. And this isn't necessarily anything but that, but it's like slightly slightly different enough that I think it'll fit in well, but take things in a, a, you know, a one-off direction. So I thought it was cool. I've backed it um, and we'll have it in the show notes. Well, you're going to cost me more money. It looks like (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I I read just imagine a spaghetti Western with swords. Yep. Yep. And then Sergio Leone's movies, uh, spaghetti Western movies, and then movies like, the Princess Bride, Lady Hawk, Flesh and Blood, The Name of the Rose, and Da Vinci's Demons. It's like, yeah, okay, yeah. Shut up you and take me. my money. Yeah, the Princess Bride and Lady Hawk thing alone was like, yeah, sold. Yeah, yeah. It it looks really fun. Looks gorgeous. Um, there, it's a good campaign. They still have twenty days as of this broadcast, and they have well, they're in like forty thousand dollars or something like that. So, yeah. so they're going to do just fine. Uh, they, um, they hit fifty. They, they hit up, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And they're they're two days into their campaign or something like that. So, right. Um, it'll be all, anyhow. That's that. Very nice. What do you got for us, Troy? You got the last one there. Uh, they got the last one. All right. I've got. Whispers in the Dark. Uh, if, if you're a fan of investigative horror, H.P. Lovecraft, that sort of thing, uh, check this out. There's, there's going to be some links in the show notes. Uh, Whispers in the Dark. Um, 
is a, a, a collaboration between uh, Matt Corley and MT Black, and I'm sure you've all heard heard MT Black of MT Black before. And then uh, Matt Corley is part of a Saturday Morning Scenarios, hmm. and they got together and did kind of a a 19th century uh, take on with fifth edition rules of you know, like Jack the Ripper and, and that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, so they've got some uh, different ideas on how to, uh, you know, run an investigation. Because investigation in D&D is <laughs> not the easiest <laughs> thing to do. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you're wanting to do something like uh, Murder on the Orient Express, yeah, and you've got that one character, oh, I just rolled a 27 on my investigation check. I know, <laughs> I know who did Okay, well, fine. Mm-hmm. That just shot my four-hour session down the tubes, but uh, so they they kind of they, they they tinkered with that. They tweaked uh, some sanity madness rules. Uh, this has no classes, mm, so oh, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a very oh. different take on the five e on the five e system. And currently, and it the, it will probably be over by the time this airs, but they do have a Kickstarter going right now for a follow-up. Um, it's a it's a novel called The Devil's City, and also uh, Horror in the Windy City, uh, which is a campaign setting for 1800 Chicago. Cool. And, That's cool. Uh, and the 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 Devil City novel uh, kind of follows along with the uh, the legend. Well, I mean, it, the guy was real, but uh, uh, a more fantasy take on H. H. Holmes. If you guys are familiar with who that is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so I I just I just was digging all over this, and uh, uh, I saw MT's name on it, I, so I jumped on the Whispers in the Dark, and I jumped on the the Devil City and the Horror in the Windy City. Yeah, and I would say that, like I said, it's probably it looks like it's probably going to fund, but um, um, it, it's getting real close to its goal. But real close, yeah. Definitely, if you guys can give it some support, even afterwards by um, uh, going on and doing a pre-order or whatnot, I'm sure those will go up uh, because this is this is a different type of fifth edition. Um, it's it's a new thing. They're trying a new thing. It's a cool thing. It's from good writers. So yes. uh, if you mm-hmm. want stuff, if you're one who wants stuff that's not regular fantasy fifth edition then we need to come out and support projects like this, right? Uh, Indeed. So, yeah. um, thank you, Troy. I, I had seen that. Honestly, on Kickstarter, I'd seen the novel, and I didn't know anything about it. So oh. you have you have probably spent some of my money in turn. <laughs> Payback! <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> nice. All right. Um, awesome. So that was our community pulse. Let's move on uh, to our DMs on DMing, our main course where we talk about a topic that came up at one of our top tables or um, just something that, that we think would be better for a longer form discussion. And um, what I have for you all today is the topic of how to make a better session zero. And oh, the, yeah. The reason that mm. I'm bringing it to our attention is several of us are starting session zeros or or getting ready to start new campaigns in one form mm-hmm. or fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of been buzzing around our group a little bit. And so yeah. um, I thought, well, it's kind of in some of our minds. So maybe this is a good time to bring it up. And I don't know, like, I think every, most people know what a session zero is, right? It's yes. the session before you actually dive into the adventure. It's the character mm-hmm. creation session. It's a session where we lay down a home, like any like home rules or any, um, uh, we, we kind of set the parameters of what this game is going to be for the rest of the mm-hmm. campaign, right? Mm-hmm. If you have things as a player that you don't want to experience, as part of this game or this campaign, this is your time to say that up front. Mm-hmm. Um, it's everything that built. It's it's taking the game out of the box, right, and putting all the pieces on the board and reading the rules and all that. If you're playing a board game, that's the session zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, I'll have somebody else start this sucker. But what do you what do you want out of a session zero, and what do you think makes a good session zero? Well, it's interesting you say that because. 
you're you're right. We're, we're I'm starting up a couple of sessions, uh, a new sessions now, and the the differences between the session zeros for both of them were pretty were surprisingly distant. Right. I'm, mm. I'm actually running through Tyranny of Dragons for two different groups and running in parallel. Right. Which is really interesting to me too because what ends up happening is. Group one that gets whoever gets furthest furthest ahead in the story is kind of my guinea pig for how the the other group is going to end up running. So I, I learned something from the session zero that I did in group one uh, versus those that are in group two. And what I learned was um, that having the the talk and the discussion about character interactions and what's important to your character and trying to bind at least each character should have a, a binding uh, agent. We'll say a story binding agent to another character. That way you don't have the awkwardness of starting out in a tavern and everyone, now we've got to spend the entire adventure looking for excuses to hang out with each other and do dangerous things together. Right. Put our, put our lives in the other person's hands. Right. So creating some kind of a history is really important. And so what I ended up doing in, in uh, the second group was um, we started out with that, but then it, it rolled into all right. Well, let's let's try a skirmish just to kind of get the to knock the cobwebs out. And we were doing this online and using Roll Twenty, so we're trying to teach some of the other players that hadn't really used it that, that often, myself included, running it as a DM, just kind of run run some of the kinks out of it. And that that uh, the skirmish of here, I'm going to put you in a situation. Don't worry about the storyline. Let's just see what happens. Skirmish. And that actually evolved into a story, which then evolved into something that they're still talking about now. And it, it was the thing, that, the hook. They created their own hook into the, the primary campaign as a result Very of cool. it. I didn't even have to really do a lot of the heavy lift on that. They helped me facilitate that into it. Mm-hmm. And so they now are the heroes of the bridge. And uh, we'll go into that uh, t- tale into another, uh, another day and another age, but... Uh, that was huge, right? It was like I, the session zero actually became like it went from zero to zero point five, mm. and then it, and it okay. really yeah, yeah. allowed it to evolve over into what I think is going to be like everybody's already hooked on on session one. You know, it was really really good. I really liked that. Mm-hmm. I love it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, uh, session zero. I think they are definitely necessary. In, in right. most in most games, um, before before all the uh, social distancing and stuff happened, uh, I was getting ready to run uh, some coworkers through. Most of them would be their first time ever playing D anD D, and having said that, I I, w- I wanted to grab them from the get go, and kind of decided to not do a session zero. I created all their characters for them so we didn't have to sit there and, and try to figure that because, you know, if you've never played D&D before and you want to play D&D, you come to the first session and you sit down and you just talk mm-hmm. about, here's what we're going to do and here's what we're not going to do and let's roll up dice and characters and stuff. Some people might not enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I actually find ses- session zeros uh, to be necessary even for established groups. Mm-hmm. Every time you start a new campaign, yeah. a new storyline or something, have a session zero so that way, if there's something that didn't work in that last campaign that you had, you know, give me feedback. Tell me what you liked from from that. And uh, do we continue it into this next campaign? Do we throw it away, try something new? Uh, for example, the last uh, long campaign kind of long campaign that I did uh, was that I was messing with the initiative system. Hmm. I, I tried to use uh, Mike Merle's Greyhawk initiative. Hmm. I liked it. I thought it was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, I liked the fact that every round combat is changing, mm-hmm. you know, as to who goes first and who goes last. And I thought it was entertaining Especially when, you know, sometimes somebody would cast a spell and it would make the spell last longer, depending on how they rolled an initiative. Mm-hmm. Or they cast a spell, and as soon as that next round starts, their spell's done. So it kind of screws them over. And mm-hmm. to me, that's kind of, it's a fun, because that's, that's more, I mean, I'm doing air quotes, 
realistic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in, in a game of elves and dragons, uh, you know, every once in a while throwing in a little bit of realism is kind of fun. So that, that, that crazy chaos of combat is what I was kind of going for with that whole Greyhawk initiative. Uh, and it worked for a couple sessions. And then after that, everybody's like, nope. We don't like it. <laughs> and, and to me, it was it, to me it was more they they didn't buy into the the decision making and the how it could be fun. It was more well, I'm so used to being able to do whatever I want every round. Mm-hmm. In order for me to still be able to do whatever I want, I have to roll twenty seven dice, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like. You're, you're missing the point of the system, but you know if you, if you're not having fun with it, we'll get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I can yeah, well, I can but, see that yeah. You know, that, that's really what the if you really boil it down, then can you could probably say that the session zero is the building of the social contract of between yes. the DMs and the players mm-hmm. and vice versa, right. like laying out right. the ground rules. All right, here's here is not only it's not a mechanical thing right it's not just here are the homebrew rules here is how we connect everybody's pieces together their players you know stories and things like that together it's also um like i don't do i don't run evil ca- characters as a mm. dm right i just i yeah. it's not yeah. that i'm not even necessarily uncomfortable with it i just i i'm a, i'm a heroic fantasy dm right that's that's mm. my butter zone that's where i'm that's where i do my my best running right and so me being able to tell them at the very beginning okay let's all make an agreement to understand that if you are uh, a wang at the table with your character and if i see it as being evil then i'm not going to like go out of my way to punish you or anything like that but that's kind of going against what we're trying to build here this is this is the direction i'm going to take it is everybody okay with that right yeah and then let them get Mm -hmm. their their druthers in uh to the to the contrary you know right speaking Um, of um mm -hmm. mm, sorry oh go ahead uh, speaking of specific to DM, specific to house sorts of things, uh, and social contracts and like three other things we've talked about already, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is, um, I'm not really sure how to name it except I guess localized lore or something, um, but that's not even a great term for it. It's like in in one of the campaigns that I was more recently in, uh, there was a lot of uh, practices or uh, suppositions that people who had played a little bit of D and D before but hadn't played in this setting uh, would come in with, and then they would be very incorrect. Like, um, mm-hmm. There's, I got you. Yeah, like especially so. With 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 clerics, there were there were almost no, there were almost no clerics in the game. There was one other one when I joined, and I was like, oh, okay. I wonder why there's not very many clerics. I guess people don't really want to be healers. Okay, I'll I'll be a cleric. And uh, part of the reason that there weren't clerics was because of very intense plot line stuff going on Mm. in this particular kingdom uh, that specifically would involve clerics and um, and that wasn't something that you were aware of it wasn't I had no idea yeah it just sort of happened and I was like whoa like what what is that and that's a really good that's a really good way of looking at it too is it's also giving people a lay of the land. Give your players a lay of the right. land during session 0. Yeah, Here are yeah. the expectations of the world and the environment. That's actually really good. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to throw out there real fast like I was like I wasn't upset by all of that. But <laughs> but it's just like it's very if I hadn't wanted my cleric to go through this like super super intense test of faith, literally nobody believes that any god exists in this kingdom yada yada. Like you know, if I didn't want to have that for my cleric character, mm-hmm. then I would want to know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Kind of a thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, and the, Well, I mean, you look at, like, we were just talking about, uh, we were talking about um, uh, Dark Sun, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's one where you really need to let your players know 
Like, you guys aren't going to use any steel or iron in this. Good luck. That's magical. You're going to use bone and flint and stone mm-hmm. and, you know, magic is bad and maybe kind of good. And here are all the things that are <laughs> completely different about the tropes that you're used to in a Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter kind of generic fantasy setting, right? Like, uh, dragon, uh, look at, you know, my first love. You look at Dragonlance and how... Uh, the dragons operate in it and how the magic works and how uh, magicians or, or mages or wizards are not allowed to wear, have anything other than a dagger as their weapon uh, and a, or a quarterstaff, that kind of stuff, right? Where there are these, the limiters, right? You need to know what the limiters are. You need to know where the kind of the trouble spots are. Or another one in Dragonlance is everybody's a racist. Everybody hates, every race hates every other race or is suspicious of them and paranoid of them. If you start out kind of like War of the Lance style, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Whenever you're a, a dwarf, you know, just bebopping around in Haven or Solace or something like that, and everybody's giving you the stink eye, as a player, you're like, well, where did that come from? I've been playing in Forgotten Realms for years, and it was never a big deal. That's something that it's really important for the DM to be able to publish that to the to the players, I think. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I th- when I, when, a lot of times, I didn't do it with this last one, because I felt like the players that I had for it, I didn't need to. I may be wrong. But uh, <laughs> I at least I'm. I'm but uh, well, a lot of times, what I'll do is create a character creation document, and so I'll say, "Here's mm-hmm. the races that are available. Here's how you're going to be viewed if you play these races. Here's mm-hmm. the classes mm-hmm. that are available. Here's how you're going to be viewed if if there's certain parameters, right? Here's how you're going to do that. A lot of times, I'll also in that document say, "Here's how. T- here's how I want you to build your character." And what I do a lot of times is say, I want you to pick race first, then background, mm-hmm. and then class, right? Because what I have learned through running numerous campaigns is if I can get you to start thinking about your race and your background as your character, and then mm-hmm. by the time you start to pick your class, you're picking it based off of role play or story choices and not off mm-hmm. of mechanical choices right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. or at least at least you're steering it that way um, so that's one thing that I do a lot is I'll do this character creation document the other thing that I do a lot is I'll create a what I call a setting document which is I go find images online or wherever and I mm-hmm. pile them all into one document and I say this is how this campaign is going to feel on one page, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so here's here's a here's a whole bunch of uh, here's a whole bunch of uh, pictures of the 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 landscape. Here's right. pictures mm-hmm. of the different races, right? Here's pictures mm-hmm. of whatever. And so when you come in, that that kind of helps you set the right tone. Your players set the right tone for the game that you're going to be playing. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed that. My players referenced it numerous times. So that's, that's always good. I, I, I want to jump back to what John said at the beginning though, about creating a history Mm -hmm. because that is so big. So, so in, that's something that I'm just learning about a lot in, um, in, uh, vampire, right? So in vampire's story, when you build your, your group, your adventuring party, or they call it a coterie, Mm -hmm. you have to tie your character to two other characters in the party Mm -hmm. by some way, right? That's a requirement of building your character is that you're tying it to two others, right? Um, And I'm like, what a great way to come to the table with, um, with, with, with something in hand, right? And, and for it to not be, stuttering at the beginning um i know a lot of people do like a session zero where they split the groups up and then from there they play some separate adventures and then come back together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or play one adventure completely by themselves or one session completely by themselves and then come together after that um yeah but that you can do the everybody meets in a tavern and you trudge along from there but that's going to set a different dynamic for your game going forward yes mm-hmm. well it's just really tough you know as, as a d and i've done it you know dozens of times before and it's just at least for me personally and i think the players kind of the, that i've at least run with have agreed that it's a slog you know mm-hmm. the 
it, it's hard enough sometimes to make sure that everybody gets a, a spot, a, a time in the spotlight. Who do you start with in, in, that's in the tavern? That's the person we're going to focus on until they interact with this person. Everybody else is sitting on standby until that happens. And so you kind of have to like, you have to pinball, ping, ping, ping from one to the next before everybody's really talking to one another. And by that time, you may have even lost people at that point. They may enjoy the interaction of the other players if it's really engaging and fun and all that good stuff. But they're also waiting for their character's time. You know? mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I agree. that. Uh, but it's funny that you, remember, you mentioned Vampire and the Coterie. That's, that's where I actually got that. The, yeah. I, the ideology of it was playing that before. I didn't do two, but I did at least one. Like, you need to know someone else. And that person needs to know someone else other than you. So that I need to create a web between all of the player the player characters so that you know yep. each other before you go into it. You trust one another, at least to a degree. You may know something about, like, this guy's a little, a little on the sneaky side, but when the chips are down, I can trust him. This guy's a little bit of a brute and a hothead. I know that I don't have to worry about him, like, Leroy Jenkinsing me, you know, mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at the, the wrong moment, right? So they kind of, you know each other's little quirks and, and quips ahead of time. Yes, another great another great game that does this really well is um, Monster of the Week, um, because yeah. there you have to um, there's like a table, and for every class the table is different, um, but mm. there's a table of um, of different ways that you can know someone, and you right. you pick or roll on that table, and then you assign it to another character, right? Um, and so what's interesting there is you are helping inform a facet of the other person's character, right? Mm. So you could have something that says, for an example, um, I used to have a relationship with this character, right? Mm. And you could pick that. So now that's not just for you, of course. That's now for them. Or you could say, I went to school with that character, right? So now, again, you're informing a piece of their backstory. Um, Mm -hmm. Again, I think that's one that really only works if everybody's game for it, right? right? And that nobody's holding on to their character tightly and their backstory tightly. But it was really fun for the times that I played in, in discovering something about your character and feeling like at least two other people in the group um, were in, somewhat invested in your character from the very beginning as well. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, let's see. Anybody else have anything? I... I like, like these have all been good, but um, before we move on, does anybody else have any thoughts? I mean, I think we could talk about different things of Session Zeros for a long time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I feel like they're, more often than not, they are necessary. And, oh, yeah. if done right, can be a lot of fun. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't <laughs> rush them. Don't rush them, and don't, don't feel like they're a waste of time. Though... Um, if you need to make it, if if you feel like you're you got a whole host of really good players that know what they're doing, maybe only make session zero an hour, right? Don't feel mm-hmm. like you have to have a four hour session zero. That'd be my one thing. At the end is like, it's not a real session, guys. Right. Or like a like a like a preface, right? Like mm-hmm. an hour. Yeah. Uh, like you're going to sit down and we're going to play for the next four hours. But of the four hours. We're going to do this this first thing here at the, at the very beginning. Go ahead and generate your characters. Do whatever you want to do. We'll kind of talk a little bit about it offline, email, Discord, whatever. But then when we get together, this first hour is just going to be dedicated to making sure that we shore up all the loose ends and we understand who's connected to what. And then, boom, we can go and move right into it if you need to abbreviate it. Mm-hmm. I would yeah. say throw in maybe like a quick like 10-minute break like in between the session zero and the, mm-hmm. the start of it. Mm-hmm. Um but that's about it. Yeah, let somebody yeah. kind of reset their headspace for the character they just made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So now let's move in to our next segment, which is the palette cleanser. This is our story time. This time, John is going to 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 tell us a story. And John, you told me that the title of your story is "Best Friends Die First. Which it is. feels like maybe not the right mindset to go into anything with. Uh, luckily, it is. Uh, it is. It's light. It's more lighthearted than the than the title implies. Uh, mm. But uh, so I've I've gotten uh, my best friend since high school uh, is is a guy. I will. Well, he'll. We'll name him. Oh, I don't know. Davin is his name. 
David. And uh, Davin, right? D-A-V-I-N. Just mm-hmm. so everybody out there knows exactly how to spell it. <clears throat> You're welcome. <laughs> now, so my best friend since high school, the, the we interacted with one another. We talked in the library. We hung out a little bit here and there. And then um, I didn't play D&D at that point. I was I made up my own. Uh, I, I'll take that back. I'd played D&D before, but I wasn't playing D&D then, right? Mm-hmm. And I would delved into making my own rule setup, and I would borrowed some stuff from the old Star Wars West End six, uh, uh, D6 mechanic, yeah. right, to make my own thing. And um, I'd probably spent maybe like three or four months of hanging out with, with this guy before – Invite him over to the house and had a couple of other buddies over. And I was like, all right, this is the first time I've run this thing. I hope it works. Let's see what happens. Everybody starts in a, in a tavern, right? We just got talk, done talking about that old, super old cliche. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, some shady sorts come inside. And David's character sitting up at the at the bar, just doing his own thing, being like, a, you know, aloof. And the bad guys come in. They... You know, they start a fight with somebody, some hayseed or with the barmaid or whatever, or the tavern keeper. And, you know, he decides he's going to be a hero, stands up, stands tall, says, hey, you know, back off the – and uh, what does he get for his trouble? I roll the dice and straight murder his character on the first oh. hit. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it was – in if you for those that are not familiar with the mechanic, in, in uh, all the old West End games, D6, you would have uh, – of the wild die and the wild die could explode. And every time you roll the six, you could roll it again. And if you roll another six, you'd roll it again and again and again and again and again. And it, it, I literally rolled like seven sixes in a row and just, just turned them into paste on the, on the tavern, tavern floor. And so <laughs> I was aghast because I'd rolled everything back in, in, in the open, you know, just so there'd be transparency there. And I didn't know, like I kind of froze up like, I, this guy's really nice and like we're friends and I'm, he's going to hate me now. This is the worst. And he had this look. He really hadn't played a lot of like role playing games before that. So now his first experience, first thing he gets to do is to have his character just completely mopped up. Oh, no. <clears throat> so I felt so bad. And so this kind of dovetails into not only here's a funny thing that happened, but here's kind of the thing on the fly that I ended up doing that I've done since then also whenever uh bad things inadvertently happen to my friends at the table. Um, sometimes the dice are really, really unforgiving and they just swing way, way, way too wide against mm. your players. And so what I ended up doing with him was I didn't kill him. I maimed him. And so I lopped off his arm and he was lying there on the floor bleeding out. And then that gave the other players enough time to come up, bandage his wounds, boom, we're done. Mm. And then so now he had to spend downtime to recover. And um, I ended up using that as um, – as a way of see, this is all homebrew, so it's in mm-hmm. my campaign setting. The race that he was, I hadn't really fleshed out entirely the way that I wanted it to go. So now they've got regeneration <laughs> because nice. I wanted to be able to have his arm back, right? So I incorporate <laughs> that into the race, but I'm like, well, I can't just give him his arm. I'm going to do this like old school AD and D randomized table of like, what does the arm look like when it comes back? Oh my gosh! Right. So I had like, <laughs> so this is of course happening in between sessions, which back then the sessions didn't happen every week. <laughs> exactly. Right. Choice, <laughs> choice, making the, the, uh, the, the, gimp, the gimpy hand, right. The, the tentacle, <laughs> tentacle fingers. Right. And so back then the sessions weren't like a week apart. They were the next day or at, at, after school. Yes. Right. So it was a scramble to apologize kind of like RP, his recovery and all this other stuff that was going on. And say, all right. Good game, good game. Sorry about me murdering you, Davin. And then uh, the next that night, I spent like three hours putting together this table of the possible things that would happen if he rolled on it. What would happen to his arm? And I read a lot of X Men back in the day. A lot of uh, um, and one of my favorite characters was Colossus. So of course I put in there organic steel arm or organic steel skin is essentially what will what will come back right when it when it recovers. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, sure enough, that's the thing that he rolled on. So it's awesome. it sucked for him that he ended up getting straight murdered, but he ended up coming out of it with this really awesome appendage that was like a signature for his character. And, um, you know, it just it really worked out. And, of course, the we, I really dramatized the, the recovery and him being in these, like, healing pits in order for the, the regeneration to work right. And then it, the his stump grows into, like, this calcified, you know, like um, – cudgel 
over time, and then he breaks it off, the whole thing, right? So yeah. it ended up panning out really, really well in the end. And then I just waited for probably about another, I don't know, six more years to murder his character again, and this time he stayed dead. So <laughs> <laughs> This time he stayed nice. dead. <laughs> and I've actually have had that happen at other, like I had even recently within the last several years, whenever 5th edition first came out, we had another friend of mine that had never played D&D before, no RPGs, and he made it, he was in the first session, and it was in Horde of the Dragon Queen, which I won't go into the details of spoilers, but I will suffice it to say, it's a very, very tough couple of sessions at the very beginning, hmm. and his character ended up getting murdered by the dice, so to speak, air yeah. quotes, and uh, I ended up having to maim him. It's like, I well, you lost an eye. And so hmm. later on in the campaign, we, we found a way to, I either grew back or... Uh, he replaced it with a gemstone that let him see detect magic at will or something cool like that. Right? I have a so middle eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's kind of like taking taking that, those lemons and making lemonade for your for your for your players just because they've uh, they've they've suffered enough at the at the hands <laughs> of, the, of the dice. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I don't have I don't have any stories of 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 doing that to my players, but. I think I've already mentioned on this uh, on this podcast that my original DM or DMs were were hardcore, um, mm. but but I played in the second play- campaign I played in with them. Uh, they love uh, the DM loved low level adventures and mm. would wait an unreasonable amount of time to to level. Let me let me explain mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were the highest person was level three after oh, wow. after two years of play. Oh my gosh! Holy cow. Because if you died, you went back to level one, and so if you if you had just crawled and, and he used XP system on the slow set speed, right? Oh my god! And we had seven players. So oh, you're no. not crawl, you're not climbing an XP because everything's being div- divvied up between seven people, and then when you die, you're starting over, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so it was a lot of fun. I, it was, but it was definitely different, right? So I died. All of us died, all the time. <laughs> that sounds miserable. Um, I think were, you I, play, were you playing D anD D or Final Fantasy eleven? Yeah, right. That's, or like OSR. that's kind of my expe- my Ugh. that was my experience with that game. Yeah, it it was it, so literally there was a time I think in that campaign, um, I don't know how many characters I had, but you you would go and you would play and someone was going to die. If we had a combat, it so was like crazy. that's almost certain to happen because again oh. we're right, with seven players. You have to make the fight challenging, right? So you got to have either a bigger, badder enemy, or you got to have more of them. Otherwise, everything gets wiped quickly. But on the flip side, the more you have, the more enemies you have, or the more difficult they are, the easier it is to kill a character, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, I I feel your 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 David's pain somewhat. <laughs> I feel uh, it. Yeah, yeah, he felt uh, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> It, well, the, what's great about it is, as miserable as that was, that is something we still talk about, or he still gives me a hard time about it to this day. And it's just like it was a binding agent mm-hmm. for the friendship, right? Yeah. You just, because it wasn't adver- it wasn't intentional. It wasn't me right. trying to punish him. It just happened. And then rolling with the punches. Let's okay, let's go with it. And him, uh, him as a player, being willing to see it as, you know, as a, an opportunity as opposed to an impediment, yes. which was really, really great. So, again, that, that really boils down to the, the character of the player and mm-hmm. the character of the, the DM, kind of oh, like yeah. the way it worked out together, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I had a very similar experience just recently. Uh-oh. I'm, I'm running a small group through Lost Minds of Fandelver mm-hmm. on Roll20, and uh, they're all elves, a little backstory on, on them. They're, they're all elves. Well, there's your problem. Yeah, there's your problem right there. <laughs> there's and problem. They've, deci- they've decided they're, they're going to call themselves the Phoenix. Okay? Oh, my. Yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't name them. But, Listen, uh, there are worse names. There are worse <laughs> names. There are worse names. I'm looking at you, Wacky Pack. 
I'm, hey, I'm thinking more like the, the original name for Vox Machina. <laughs> mm. The shits. You know. Anyway, so yes. uh, they, they get to uh, the, the Cragmaw Caves. They're mm. there uh, by Fandelver. Yep. And uh, they go up. They, you know, the, the they fight the goblins and all this stuff. They make it into Clark's Cave. The one, uh, the one guy is playing a, a, an elven wizard. He wants to be a blade singer. Uh, he runs up, and there's like goblins over here. There's the wolf, Clark. He thunder waves, pushes a a goblin, the wolf, and Clark back. Clark's mad. He's a bugbear, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Clark charges him. And I'm like, he, he, man, buddy, he's gonna, he's gonna hit you, you know, payback. And I was like, and I, and the, what made it worse is I called it. I said, man, I hope you better hope I don't crit you. Oh no! And, and the DM's curse. Him. Yeah, and, and and so and so I did. I I crit him and did like 24 points of damage. Oh my god! He's probably at seven and hit he, points. Exactly. And, yeah, and, he, and he'd already been hit once. You know, oh, no. so it's like poof, killed him outright, Oof. and it was like, oh, dude, that, oh man, and I've known this, I've known the the player for a long time, and uh, so and that's kind of like right there is where we start, we stopped the the session because then everybody finally rallied and took out Clark and the rest of the goblins and the wolf, and it's like they're set, you know, he's here's this body laying there with you know. The head smashed into the shoulders. And I'm like, man, dude, I'm really sorry. He's like, man, I was really wanting to play a Blade Singer, too. It's like, oh, yeah, that really sucks. And then it was like. <laughs> that's a shame. Mm. Yeah, that's darn. And so, next. <laughs> so we get done. And I'm like, okay, what, what do you want to play next? And so he, he thought up a new character. And I'm looking through my notes. And I see what Trinket he rolled. He had rolled a bright, a one pound bright red egg. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Phoenix. Egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Nice. Good. And it's like, so I'm like, okay, here's the thing. And I tell him, I was like, I have a way that I can bring your character back. Do you want to do it? And he ended up deciding to just stick with his new character. So oh, we start the next. Yeah, we, it was a yeah. bummer. But so I still use the story, though. We start the next session. I'm like, okay, here's here's the body of your friend laying there. And uh, you're, you're all standing around like, oh, man, what happened? And all of a sudden, he bursts into flames. Yes. They're like, what? Oh my gosh! What's going on? And it's like he, witchcraft. He, he completely immolates <laughs> and is now just a pile of ash. Some of the ash falls away, and look, there's this bright red egg. That's awesome. Sitting nice. in the ash. Mm-hmm. Nice. So now I'm thinking they're going to keep this egg with them, and if I kill another one, it's going to happen again, right? Yeah. No, they gave the egg to somebody. Oh, man. Yeah, it's like, oh, man. Pearls before swine, man. Pearls yeah. before swine. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah. It's like, how do, how do I backpedal? Because uh, I, I kind of want this uh, guy to have a chance to play a blade singer. Yeah. That's a – that you you, but, yeah. you gave you gave every opportunity, and that is yeah. a delight. You, they may not realize it, but you have a story that you'll carry for – Oh, yeah. Till your, oh, that's right. Till the D&D nursing yes. home, right? So um, you put, well, you put it in your back pocket for the next time around, man. You can still do that. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. That's oh, what yeah, I that's do, awesome. man. <laughs> Zach, you had a character that was um, that was created-ish, sort of like that, right? Like the the death of another of the old one. Uh yes. So, um, not in as cool a fashion as Troy managed to <laughs> manifest. Um, you do. Gosh, let me think about. Uh, so I've had a couple of these. Um, are you thinking about um, Mr. Francis's guy? Vera, Vera. Oh yeah, no, that's even better. No, you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I played a um, a uh, uh, warlock who had a um, a the soul of a uh, the spirit of one of their 
kin, we'll call it that, tied to them. And it was like, it was a homebrew warlock class, but the idea was that this vengeful spirit is tormenting you and that's your patron. It's like an unwilling patron, right? Um, and through a series of unfortunate events, my old warlock fellow that had been haunted by the spirit for forever died like six months into the campaign. Like, uh, he blew up um, a magic item and and got immolated, right? Um, it was a lot of fun. But what, what our DM at the time offered, and it was perfect, was he said, you can play the spirit as an undead because we're mm. in the we're in the wizard's tower and the wizard can bind it to like a construct body so to speak right um and and you can play it as that that construct spirit form creature instead and i'm like that sounds cool and it was and that's one of my favorite characters of all time now and it's, it was a, so much fun to play this mm, spirit awesome. who's been a spirit for two years or however many years right and has to get used to being a body a real person again right mm-hmm. she's so, so that's cool good. It's so fun. Yep. Uh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me about the beginnings of that character because I I did that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Okay, let's dive into our last topic here. Uh, this is the dessert, the hidden gems. These are tidbits that we fell in love with this week. Uh, let's see. Every single one of us has something uh, tonight. Uh, let's see, mm-hmm. Catherine. Why don't you throw out yours first? All right. Yeah, so, um, as, as I had stated, like, a couple of episodes ago, um, I spend most of my time in the social media-verse on Instagram, um, so I see a lot of dice makers and terrain builders and stuff like that, um, and I ran across, I already followed this, this person, um, the account is Artisan Dice, uh, hmm. and they had super cool dice already. But what I'm zoning in on right now is uh, something that it's it's an initiative, I guess, called Project Corona. And he is using his 3D printer uh, instead of printing dice and other things like that. Um, he is now saying, okay, um, I... It, for every person who buys uh, one of these wooden D20s that I will have up uh, on the site, will pay for the ability for me to be able to 3D print some uh, PPE face masks, like or not face masks, like face shields. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And be able to send those. Uh, as a donation to um, a hospital or a senior retirement home or something like that. So yes, for every D20 that's purchased, you're funding a mask, uh, a face shield being created. It's super cool. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. That, um, it's kind of fun because um, not that not that everything always needs to have a benefit to you, but it's kind of cool to know that when you buy a thing that maybe you already wanted, which is a dice, mm-hmm. um, you're getting that dice, but you're also contributing to the the, the greater cause, right? Um, oh yeah. So well, and then you've got that you've got that like kind of the, that good karma associated to the dice too, right? It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. every time you roll it, you know that you did a good thing with it. So that's that's pretty neat. I like that. Awesome. Yeah. We will. Uh, I, I dig it. With all of these things, we'll throw them down in the show notes, of course. But that's artisan dice. Um, let's see. I'll throw mine out because it's another short one. Um, I stumbled across Jetpack 7's YouTube channel this week. Um, Jetpack 7 did the Legendary Dragons book and a couple other cool hardcover books. Yeah, yeah. okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and they just launched a few months ago a YouTube channel where they just talk about D&D stuff. So, like, the, the episode that I happened to catch was their episode on the Artificer, right? Um, where they kind of broke down the class and talked about the mechanics and how it compared to other classes and whatnot. It was like 12 minutes. It's perfect size. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. It's really well made. The, the host is good. Uh, like, like he's interesting. Um, and they've, they've edited it down to something that's easy to digest. So, um, 
I would highly recommend it if you just want small chunk D and D videos. So nice, very nice. cool. Uh, next one on the list is Troy. Yeah, uh, and actually, I'm going to I'm going to take two because hmm. um, something something <laughs> just was brought to my attention. But uh, first thing I'd like to talk about is uh, uh, Mike Shea and the DM's Deep Dive. Mm-hmm. It's it's his uh, you know website, podcast, all that kind of stuff, and he he does a deep dive with uh, other people in the the gaming community uh, about different topics. He also um, has podcasts where he discusses how he prepares to run a game. He is he is the lazy dungeon master. Yep. If you, if anybody's <laughs> familiar with those books, um, they are awesome. But uh, what what really caught my attention here lately and has been a lot of fun is Mike Shea is running the uh, Essentials uh, starter set adventure uh, Dragon of Icepire Keep mm-hmm. with his good friend the newbie DM, Enrique Bertrand. Mm-hmm. Oh, sweet! <laughs> and it is hilarious. <laughs> and they're using—I mean—they're using the sidekick rules and everything. So Enrique has has a his character is a dwarf named uh, 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 Brundar, son nice. or something like that, son of Dorn, and mm. uh, he has a. I'm assuming he's a halfling. They really or, uh, assuming he's a cleric because they really have, haven't really come out and said. But he has a sidekick that is a halfling cleric named Bing. <laughs> it, it's, it's awesome. It is absolutely awesome. Sometimes Bing is the brains behind the, the, the group, and oh. sometimes it's it's uh, Brundar. It's, it's, nice. It is nice. a lot of fun. Um, they've done, I believe, I believe they just dropped uh, episode five here in the last day or so. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, go check those out. Um, and my uh, my little uh, dessert part two is I just want another another shout out for uh, MT Black. Mm-hmm. His Kenneth uh, Schematica adventure has just dropped on the DMs Guild. I helped playtest this. It was a lot of fun. It is a salvage mission. Um, using the new rules uh, for uh, salvage bases and missions from uh, the Adventurers League. It is Adventurers League legal, mm-hmm. and it is for Eberron. And mm-hmm. it's a really cool uh, adventure. And if you guys remember the last time we talked, uh, I was, you know, had the issue with the brown mold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. MT's fault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just just nice. saying. It's always so, good yeah. to know where you can lay all your blame. Yes. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is a lot of fun. And uh, I'll be picking that up as soon as we're done here. So. Love it. That's awesome. Nice. John, finish us out. You got it. All right. So we, I think we talked about this a couple of episodes back, but I hadn't had an opportunity to I've, – I've played Tales from the Loop, right? I've got, I've got the source book and I absolutely love – the art is absolutely gorgeous. It is uh, haunting. It is so good. Uh. And uh, I really love the lore that's behind it. And so I had I, I, Tales from the Loop's been out for a while on, on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think it's eight episodes, but I hadn't really dipped into it yet. I, I wasn't I was leery of it because I was afraid that it would wouldn't meet my own internal hype from what I've, I'd played the game. Um, I really, really have enjoyed this show. I've, I've gotten I'm only three episodes in thus far so and in the next podcast you may hear me ranting and screaming about the the season <laughs> season finale but uh, I've, I've been able to sit down and watch it with my 15 year old son and my mm. wife and uh it's like a thing that we do it's like that's our show that we watch together uh right now and it's just uh oh, it's so good it's, i mean you kind of have you have to give a little bit of forgiveness for the medium transferring from paper and and internal thought creativity to to, to the medium of you know streaming streaming services, but, sure. but you can tell they really are trying to give it the vibe, and I'm I'm curious to see what ends up happening, um, like the viewership if they're going to be able to do a season two or not. The critics have been really really uh, energetic and kind to the show thus far, uh, but yeah, so I can't I can't recommend it enough right now. But again, uh, next episode I may be you know, ready to go Harry Krishna 
on that thing hardcore and self-immolate <laughs> as a result of watching a, one bad episode for all I know. But today, I like it. Awesome. All right. There's been a lot of immolation on this episode. Yeah, there has. There has, man. man <laughs> flame out. Also, John, you you are the king of creating T-shirts or or sayings because what they need to put on the box for season one of Tales from the Loop, right? The DVD box is today. I like it. <laughs> oh man, so that, uh, my my next career needs to be like like the uh, the the one sentence uh, reviews. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Today it, I like it. It didn't make me vomit. Yes. Nice. <laughs> well, nice. I think that's a good spot to call this episode good. Uh, we are going to be maybe trying to drop a couple more bonus episodes so we'll see how that works but we're excited to maybe get a little bit of extra content there i would go ahead and recommend that everybody check out the facebook page and check out the instagram page and also there's some products from all of us or different ones of us coming out here or just came out um, on the dms guild so if you look for our names on the dms guild you will probably find something right Huzzah. um oh yeah and more to come so uh definitely gonna plug that check it out um troy and jonathan and i are cranking out some eberron goodness for you guys so if eberron's your jam yeah give it a look so all right until next week guys we'll see you later bye everybody uh, have great games stay safe. yeah stay safe <laughs>